Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you GEICO has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while GEICO could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest-growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, GEICO has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than GEICO. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in the Cat Talk Wednesday, another great episode. Appreciate everybody taking the time to tune in. Vinny Hardy here outside of Knoxville. We got a super fun show. Terry T.B. Brown will be along shortly from Louisville. But we have oftentimes started the show with different guests and different times. And sometimes we start guests the show right off the bat with guests, and that is literally what we're going to be doing today. We have a lead-off hitter, if you will, that you won't get one more qualified as Terry joins us now from the Ville. The all-time winningest coach in U.K. baseball history, Terry, 737 victories. Joining us now on Cat Talk Wednesday to talk some U.K. baseball as we got the big regional coming up at the cliff. Keith Madison, former UK coach, is on with us right now. Coach, we really appreciate it. How are you doing this evening? Thank you for joining us. Doing great, Vinny. Uh, doing great. It's an exciting week for Kentucky baseball with the regionals coming into Puffhagen Stadium. So uh, it's, it's a good week. Looks like the weather's going to be good to start the tournament. So we're all fired up and excited to get going. And it's really been, in my opinion, Good to, of course, see the success of me and Jonas had in year one, but it's also brought back a lot of talk from your team in 1988. And to be honest, I was 10 in 1988, so I don't remember a lot about that team, so it's been cool to hear about it and hear about the job you did coaching that team and how you yourself have said that this team reminds you a lot of that 88 team. So I got to learn about that team as well as, you know, the way you coach them in watching Kentucky this season. So it's been really neat. Yeah, it has been. It's it's, uh, obviously brought back a lot of good memories for me because this team that Coach Minjone has taken over this year reminds me a lot of that 88 team. Uh, Unfortunately, we – unfortunately, we came up just uh, just – one run short of going to Omaha that year, Stanford beat us. 
and they uh, they went on to win the national championship that year. But this team is like that '88 team in that the lineup is strong from leadoff hitter through the nine-hole hitter, and so uh, there's no easy outs in the lineup, and they can score runs in bunches. Now, where this team might have a little bit of an advantage over my '88 team is is pitching. I think the I think the starting rotation is a little stronger. Uh, our bullpen might be, might have been just a little better, but this this starting rotation is really good. And one of the things that's really been fun for me is to watch how Nick Mingione has inspired these young men to to come out and, and be ready to play and, and to play at the very highest level every game. It's been it's been really fun to watch that. Talking with former UK coach Keith Madison, and there's been a lot of impressive things, you know, that we've seen this year from Coach Minjone, as you mentioned. What, if you had to pick one, what stands out the most to you or what has impressed you the most when you do look at this, this team? I think it impresses me the most is the confidence that each hitter brings to the plate with him. And I think, you know, everything rises and falls with leadership. And I think that comes from Nick and his staff leading these guys and helping them to believe. Uh, I've said this often, Benny. uh, Every one of us needs somebody to believe in us. You know, we – there may be a teacher in your life or a coach in your life or a pastor or there's been somebody in every successful person's life that had someone believe in them. And I think Nick does a great job with those players. They they all know that Nick believes in them. And, and so that gives them the confidence and the energy and the competitiveness to go out and, and, and give their best every game and, and uh, as a as a former coach of that program, I observed that, and it's very impressive to me. And uh, so that that's probably been the thing that has stood out more than anything. Um, and another thing too, Vinny, um, and this has been talked about a little bit in the media, perhaps not enough, is that two of the of the pitchers. In the, or well, actually, I think all the pitchers in the starting rotation this year were relief pitchers last year. They had never started, really, at the college level. Uh, John Jelly was was pretty much the closer last year. So he would just come in and get two or three outs. And, and, uh, and, and Justin Lewis, you know, same thing. You know, they use those guys out of the bullpen. And for them to come in and log – the innings that they've logged this year and have the success that they've had on the mound has also been very impressive. So those are probably the two things for me that that really stand out. And as noted, there's the excitement is building. It's been building all year. The excitement leading up to the SEC tournament in Hoover. The excitement now with the regional and Lexington. I heard you on the Leach Report with Tom Leach the other day, you know, when you were previewing the SEC tournament, and you mentioned that 
you were excited and, and anxious and you weren't even coaching or playing. Uh, so I'm sure the same feelings are building again this week. As a coach, when it was leading up to a big game or a big tournament, did you kind of play it cool or stoic to let, you know, hide those feelings from the players, or did you kind of let those feelings out to let the players know it was okay to be nervous? And, you know, if you're not nervous, something is wrong. How did you kind of balance those emotions when you were coaching? Vinny, that's a great question. Um, I tried to be as composed as I could be because, I, in my opinion, um, when players are getting ready to go against a really good opponent, and, and, and then during that game, if something goes wrong, those players are going to look to the coach. And if the coach is out of control or if he seems really anxious or, or stressed, who do the players turn to? You know, so I think it's important for coaches to, to be in control as much as possible. There's things going to happen in, in a heat of competition where coaches, you know, they're going to, they're going to lose it every once in a while. We see that all the time. But overall, I think a coach needs to be in control. And um, I, I think Nick does a really good job of that as well. And, uh, and I tried to do that. I remember my first year coaching at Kentucky – um, I, I inherited a veteran team uh, similar to the one that, that Nick has this year. And uh, I was very young at the time. I was uh, I was 27 years old during the first season uh, that I coached at Kentucky. And we were playing, I, I believe it was Tennessee, and and we were uh, giving up some runs, and, and we were three or four runs down behind about the sixth inning. And I had a junior shortstop come up to me, and he said, Coach, don't worry about this. We got this. And sure enough, we won the game. And that taught me a lot as a young coach that, hey, you can't you, you can't let the the pressure, the stress get to you. You got to believe in your players. And the more you believe in them, the more they're going to believe in you. So, uh, I, I, hopefully, I grew into that as a coach, and uh, that's why we were able to, to win a few games. And I think that's one of the main reasons that uh, that Coach Min Jones having a great year this year with his team because he's instilled that confidence in those guys. They believe in each other. They believe in the staff. And so uh, they're making the best of it. Talking with former UK baseball coach Keith Madison. Coach, just want to get your thoughts on the region, the teams that are coming to the cliff, this coming weekend, the Kentucky plays Ohio Friday. We also see Indiana, a team that Kentucky's already beaten, as well as NC State heading to Lexington as well. Your thoughts on those other teams uh, as far as opponents and, and what they bring to the table for Kentucky? Yeah, Vinny, uh, Ohio University from the Mid-American Conference, they're, they're a team that, uh, to be very honest with you, they were they sort of had a mediocre season. They're the fourth seed in that tournament. But what makes them a little bit dangerous is that they got real hot at the end of the year. Uh, they they kind of they sprinted through that Mid-American Conference tournament and upset solid baseball teams like Kent State, uh, 
and Eastern Michigan. Um, you know, I think they won something like ten out of their last eleven games. So they're 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 a hot team. And then Indiana, very similar. I mean, they they got off to a slow start in the Big Ten, but they finished really strong. Uh, I think they won their last eleven games. They played the eleventh toughest schedule um, in in college baseball this year. So they're a hot team too. Uh, North Carolina State, very similar to Indiana in that they got off to a slow start. Uh, they finished 16 and 14 in the ACC, but they won 13 out of their last 15 games. So, even though Kentucky is a more impressive team, more highly ranked, and I think Kentucky has an edge on all of those teams when it comes to pitching, the thing that scares me just a little bit is the fact that there's three hot teams coming into Lexington. And Kentucky didn't finish quite as strong as Coach Lee Jones and, and the team wanted to finish. They lost uh, two out of three in Gainesville to a very, very good Florida team. And then they dropped two out of three in the SEC tournament. Um, and so they, they, they sort of, even though they only lost, I think, two conference series, during the season, they didn't really perform up to standard in the SEC tournament. So it's a little bit concerning that Kentucky's probably playing their worst baseball since February, and these other three teams are playing their best baseball season. Now, I think the fact that they're playing at home and they played really well at Cliff Hagen Stadium this spring. The fact that we're going to have big crowds at the game. The fact that this is a veteran club with solid pitching and a great lineup. I think they're going to bounce back and I think they're going to play uh, very well during this tournament. So I, I think Kentucky is definitely the favorite. That's who, uh, that's who I'm certainly picking to win it, and um, even though they're playing free, you know, there's, the other three teams are really hot and playing well at the end of the season. I think Kentucky's talent and also the coaching staff um, is going gonna, is gonna to put them over the top. Coach, I want to ask you to step in the other dugout and, you know, pretend you're facing this Kentucky team as an opposing coach, how do you game plan against this Kentucky team? I know it would depend on what type of team you had to go against them, but what would you try to do to attack them or game plan against them to try to beat Kentucky and kind of give us an insight to what these opposing coaches have been trying to do against Kentucky all season? Yeah, that's a good question, Denny. I I think – one thing I would try to do is if, if I have if I had a lefty in my rotation, I would throw that left-hander against Kentucky because they have a lot of left-handed hitters in that lineup. Uh, starting with Tristan Pompey, the leadoff hitter, he had an outstanding year. The guys like Zach Rex and um, Riley Mahan, uh, I mean, they're just loaded with really good left-handed hitters. 
So I would want to, first of all, throw a lefty against them, if at all possible. And the second thing I would have in my game plan is I'd really emphasize putting the ball in play hard on the ground because if Kentucky has a weakness, it's, it's their defense. Uh, they haven't played – they've played good defense, but they haven't played great defense. And uh, that's what hurt them in the Southeastern Conference, I think, a lot. So those those would be the two main things that I would uh, that I would do. And the third thing I would do probably is uh, is pray for rain because this thing is is a is a powerful offensive force to be reckoned with. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, comes we talked about the team in the region already, and you know I'm not up on how the, you know, regions are selected and all that as much in baseball as basketball, but were you surprised to see Indiana in there since they'd already faced Kentucky, or do they kind of go with border teams? You've got Ohio and Indiana that, you know, border Kentucky both coming down to Lexington. Yeah, you know, I think in baseball they do it more geographically than they do in basketball, so I wasn't really surprised at that. Um, but what did surprise me a little bit, and, and it, I'll take it a little step further, it, it, it even bothered me a little bit, is that the selection committee, uh, they put Kentucky and Louisville in the same bracket. In other words, if, if Kentucky wins their regional and Louisville wins their regional, they have to play each other in the super regional, which would be a best two out of three series to decide who goes to the College World Series. So, you know, being, being a Kentucky boy myself, uh, I would love to see both Kentucky and Louisville in the College World Series. How exciting would that be for our state? But the way the NCAA set it up, they're not going to let both teams go because one's going to have to beat the other if they both make it through the regionals. But having said that, being a Kentucky Wildcat, I'm not afraid of Louisville. You know, we split with them during the season, and um, I think we matched up really good against Louisville. So it doesn't, it doesn't scare me to have to play Louisville, but at the same time, I wish they'd have handled that differently so that both teams would have had an opportunity to play in Omaha. It looks like maybe that's one thing that NCAA does regardless of sport because we've seen Kentucky and Louisville in basketball seemingly every year possible, and now we could see the same thing in baseball. Yeah, and I, and I think it's almost like the selection committee. They try to create those matchups with rivalries. Um, and and I will say this, Vinny, if, if that happens where Kentucky and Louisville play in the Super Regionals, uh, it's going to be incredible. Uh, the, the, the passion and the interest and and the, and, and the uh, attention that's going to go to that super regional between Kentucky and Louisville, it's going to, uh, people are going to be talking about college baseball in the state like never before because both teams, excuse me, both teams are top ten teams. Uh, Louisville has been on a tear the last ten years. Uh, they've played really, really well. and They've been to the College World Series a couple of times. Uh, Kentucky is an exciting program right now because of their leadership 
because they have a veteran team, because they're getting a new stadium. Uh, so it, it, you know, it, it's a great time for college baseball fans in our state. It definitely is. We're talking with former UK baseball coach Keith Madison. Um, coach, we heard uh, some comments from from Doug Flynn that I don't, I don't know, maybe raised eyebrows, I don't know, or, or, or maybe surprised people when he was talking about Evan White being the greatest first baseman that he had ever seen, and that included Tony Perez, his red teammate on the Big Red Machine. Are you on in that same camp as when it comes to Evan White defensively as a first baseman, or did you, you have you had to share those sentiments, or what did you come out yeah, of? Yeah, I, I know. You know, I know exactly what Doug's talking about. And, and Doug and I go all the way back to 1972. Doug and I were teammates uh, in the Cincinnati Reds organization uh, uh, back in, the, in our minor league days. But I, I agree with Doug, and, and, and I agree with Doug, and I think Doug would tell you the same thing from a defensive standpoint. Uh, obviously, offensively, Tony Perez, and there's, there's been a lot of great great hitting first basemen that, uh, that are better than Evan White. But in terms of defense, the way he handles himself around the bag and the way that he can uh, stretch and pick those low throws and just the way he plays, so smoothly around first base. Uh, I have to tell you, I think he's he's the best I've ever seen. And I I played against Keith Hernandez. You, uh, I know you're younger, but you probably remember that name. Yes, sir. I thought uh, I thought he was a phenomenal first baseman for the Mets, and uh, actually uh, pitched against him in the minor leagues, and and was very impressed with him. Uh, and then there's a there's a guy from Lexington. Uh, that played for Auburn and then played in the White Sox organization by the name of Dom Fusey, uh coached at Tate's Creek High School for many years. But he was also a tremendous defensive first baseman. But but I have to I have to agree with Doug that Evan White is the best defensive first baseman I think, especially at the college level. Wow, that is high praise, it for sure. Got a couple more questions for you, Coach. Uh, as a you know hitter as a pitcher, any level, what is the best day you had at the plate on the bump in your baseball career that stands out in your mind? <laughs> oh wow, well, that, that that's uh, something I hadn't thought about in a while. But um, I I would say. I was in high school. I played at Edmondson County High School over um, in the south central part of the state, just north of Bowling Green, around Mammoth Cave. That's where I grew up. And, and my senior year, the last game I pitched in high school uh, was against our rival. At that time, was Litchfield High School. Now it's Grayson County High. But uh, I actually was pitching against a second cousin. And uh, the game went into extra innings. It went, you know, the high school games are seven innings, and the game went eight innings. And I actually struck out 22 hitters in eight innings. Um, that that was the best game I, I I ever had. Now the the bad part about that story is that I lost that game. Um, I gave up a walk and I and I hung a curveball, and a guy hit a home run, and we lost the game two to one. So uh, even though I had the 22 strikeouts, 
uh, and all that, um, that was that was really sad for me because um, I pitched the game of my life and we lost. And then another game I had was was playing Legion ball for Bowling Green, and uh, I struck out nine guys in a row. And that's the first night that I think a, a pro scout ever saw me pitch, and uh, that led to me signing with the Montreal Expos. And um, and then in, in in the minor league, you know, I, I was a reliever most of my minor league career in an Expos organization, a Reds organization, and, and had some, you know, I had some good games there too, but of course you always remember those big games you have when you're in high school. Absolutely. I know I've been a little bit long-winded, but man, Terry, if you, if you want to jump in with some questions for Coach, definitely feel free. I don't mean to be hogging up all, <laughs> the, all the air. <laughs> It's okay. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, listening to Coach uh, go on uh, and on. I, uh, thank you so much again, Coach, for coming on. Uh, now, Vinny and I oh, have man. talked about I'll and I talk think you guys. <laughs> everybody knows SEC football. You know, everybody knows with the, the championships and, and everything that the, the SEC has won. But I don't think a lot of people understand just how competitive SEC baseball has been. Uh, I remember being a freshman at UK many, many moons ago, and I come out of my the dorm. I was staying in the towers at the time, and there's these LSU buses parked by the cliff, parked back there. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And they were there for a baseball series. And and we've always said, if you can be competitive in the SEC, you can compete on a national level. And 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 how did you kind of? I'm long winded to get to this. How do you kind of get ready to go to those places where, you know, LSU championships and, and all these places, how do you kind of get your team ready for those kind of Tuesday, Wednesday games when you got to go on the road to some of those tough environments? You know, that, that, that's one of the, uh, a coach at a place like Kentucky or any SEC school, because the, the SEC baseball environment is so competitive, and you go to places like LSU, like South Carolina, like Ole Miss, and they have huge crowds. And I remember playing at LSU, uh, and there were like 8,000 people there, and when they hit a home run or something, it's a roar like you hear at a football stadium. And so when your players aren't used to that, it can be a little bit intimidating. So I would just try in those venues just to try to get my players to embrace it and say, guys, this is this is why you're playing SEC baseball, to be able to compete in this environment. Now, the tougher task is in a midweek game, we play a, a good college baseball team like a Moorhead State or a Western Kentucky or an Eastern Kentucky, and now you, you go from that big-time environment like you have in Baton Rouge or in Oxford or – um, at Mississippi State or someplace like that where they have huge crowds and all of a sudden there's 400 people in the stand and, um, you know, you can hear the guy next to you, you know, chewing sunflower seeds. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's tough. You know, there's, there's just naturally an emotional letdown. Um, mm. So in those situations, you just try to get your guys to, hey, 
this this game might make the difference between us getting an at large bid and not. You know, uh, and and we're you know we're we're playing for pride here. Now, you know, we normally fared well against those teams, but there were times when Moorhead State would knock us off or Western Kentucky would knock us off, and and that that's a reality check right there when that happens because you're expected to beat those teams and. Sometimes those teams might throw their number one pitcher against you, and you're saving your number one for LSU or Mississippi State because mm. it's a big for those teams. And if they can knock you off with their best pitcher, then that's a feather in your cap. It's the recruiting, and as you guys know, pitching is such a big deal in baseball. If you can you, you can play a 500 ball club, and if they're throwing their best pitcher, and you're throwing your number six. They got a chance to beat you, and so uh, those those are some of the challenges that that college baseball coaches face, and they're unique. Uh, you know, when you play basketball, your your best five is going against their best five, and and when you play football, it's the same way. But in baseball, that pitching matchup makes a huge difference. And, and one, one more question, baseball coach. coach. I'm sorry. Go ahead, TV. No, just one last question. With with the new baseball stadium uh, under construction, uh, I drove by it last week. I went to the softball game, and, and kind of this. Uh, I, I I love the commitment to the university for the for that. But when you see kind of this evolution from you know when you were coaching to kind of where it's heading to this what we assume to be state of the art facility. Do you take a little bit of pride in that, saying, you know, you know, we kind of laid that foundation for these guys? Because I, I say that because a lot of people kind of see the success that we've had football and, of course, softball and, and, and even baseball. I've always said, and Vinny agrees, you know, we didn't just start playing these sports. You know, we have had coaches and players that have put the work in, you know, way back when that have really set the foundation for the success that we're having now. Do you take a little pride in that? Yeah, I do uh, because you know you hear you, know, you hear coaches say a lot of times, "Hey, you know the players were better in our era, or this was better, or that." But uh, you know, to be honest with you, um, when I first started coaching in Kentucky, we didn't get a lot of financial support. Uh, my my assistant coaches were part time, and we we were the only. We, we were the only school in Southeastern Conference that had part-time assistant coaches, and right. and our facilities weren't as good as some of the others. So, uh, you know, when I when I would go to the athletic director and say, "Hey, we need lights for the stadium," or, you know, we want to improve our facilities, he would very kindly say, "You want it? You go out and raise the money for it." And so, during most of my career, I was not only a coach; I was also a fundraiser trying to keep up with the other schools in the SEC that took baseball a lot more seriously than we did. And I'm, I'm not saying that to whine or complain. I absolutely love that challenge. I love coaching in Kentucky. And I had chances to go to other schools that where I, maybe I wouldn't have to do the fundraising or maybe, you know, we would have better facilities and better weather. But I love the University of Kentucky, and I, and I wanted to coach here. So I took on that challenge. And I will say this, guys, Nick and Joan has been incredibly gracious. And many times when I've heard him speak or interviewed, uh, 
he has always talked about, you know, the foundation that was laid before him and, 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 you know, how we're all a part of that family. And, and I couldn't be happier for the support that Mitch Barnhart and the fan base is giving Coach Mingell. And I'm, I'm excited about it because in a small way, I feel like I've been a little, little part of that. And, and then when I think about the players that, that, that came through while I coached here, the Brandon Webbs, who won a Cy Young Award, and mm-hmm. Andy Green, who's now manager for the Padres, and, and all those things. And, and the regional tournaments that we played, we didn't get to host any because our facilities weren't as good then. But, uh, you know, when I think about all those things, I do, I do have a lot of pride in the program. And so because of that, when I see – Kentucky hosts the regional this week. It makes me feel really, really good, and I'm I'm excited for for Nick and his staff, the team, and the entire program. And I'm very thankful that Mitch Barnhart uh, wants to be an athletic director for every sport, not just basketball and football. And so that's a that's a great feeling for people like Nick Minjone and Rachel Lawson and and different coaches, uh, you know, on the staff, that they know they they have an athletic director that's got your back. Absolutely. We're talking with former U.K. baseball coach Keith Madison, um, national baseball director at Score International and publisher at Inside Pitch. Also check out Coach's website at CoachKeithMadison.com. Coach, um, as we talked about yesterday, I was born and raised in, in Harlan County, Kentucky, grew up in Lynch, went to Cumberland High School, and you're going to be in my neck of the woods next month and have been coming to my neck of the woods for a few years now. Uh, tell everybody what you're going to be doing at Harlan County High School next month and, and a little bit of the things that you have going on down in my home county. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to that. I, first of all, I love Harlan County. I love the people there and uh, people like Tom Vicini and people I've known for a long, long time. Yes, sir. Um, you know, Freddie Maggard. Uh, I I actually helped recruit Freddie and wanted him to pitch in Kentucky, but unfortunately, one of my coaching heroes, Coach Claiborne, at that time didn't allow uh, football players to play baseball. But he would have been he would have been a stud pitcher for us, no no doubt. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're going back. We're going to Harlan. And in the past, I put on free baseball clinics for the kids there, and we've done it up in Benham and. Uh, Lanch and um, Harley County High School as well. Well, this year we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're going to do an all-sports clinic. Uh, we're going to do baseball, softball, soccer. Uh, I know Coach Mitchell has shown a lot of interest in coming down, and I'm pretty sure he and Macy Morris are going to be there. We're going to have a, a strong contingent from the University of Kentucky go down and, and do some uh, sports clinic uh, for people in, in Harley County because I, I grew up in a in a rural area like I said earlier and when I was in junior high school and high school I had never met a college coach and I'm sure there are a lot of young athletes in Harlan Harlan County that probably have never met a college coach and we just want to be there for them to encourage them to uh, share some tips with them athletically, but also uh, to be there to, to share our faith in them and let them know that, hey, we 
we love you guys, and and you're you're a part of, of Big Blue Nation, and and we're we're just here for you. So, Score International, the organization I'm with now, we're going to go down and put on these clinics, but we're also going to do like a vacation Bible school for younger kids. We're going to have uh, uh, medical screening in different locations in Harlan County. Uh, we just want to use that as a as a way to serve and as a faith-based outreach to to try to encourage and help people in Harlan County. Well, I definitely appreciate the work you're doing as well as everyone back home. And uh, it's definitely a wonderful thing. And I know the kids will, will definitely appreciate it as well. And, and the impact, not only in the short term while they're meeting you, but then in the long term after the fact they can reflect back on the time spent with you all uh, will definitely uh, go a long way as well. Uh, well, I to, you know, I, I hope that uh, maybe you guys can help us get the word out. One of my one of my concerns, I guess, is is you know getting some of the UK athletes and coaches down there to do this, and and a lot of the kids in Harlan County maybe not even know about it. But uh, if you guys could help us get the word out, that'd be great. We want we want as many kids as possible to come out and participate in this and. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun, that's for sure. And, and I, I love, I love going to Harlan County. Uh, it's just I, I've never been treated any better anywhere in the state. Uh, when I go down there, it's just uh, I, I love. You know, when you go to a place, you know what it feels like. If you go to a place and you feel welcome, it's a good feeling. If you feel like you're not wanted, it's a bad feeling. When I go to Harlan County, I always feel welcome. It's always a good feeling. Absolutely. Is there is there a phone number or a website or something like that that, that we can put out on our social media for the show and as far as contact? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will I will get the the right number to you. I don't want to give the wrong number. I'll, I'll get the right number to you and and the website. It's uh it's 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 score i t excuse me score i n t l dot org. That's the website, uh, but I'll get all the, the the right information to you. And also, in a couple of weeks, I hope to have the names of the UK coaches and some of the athletes that are going to be participating. And and I know once uh, once the parents and the kids in Harlan County, Harlan County find out who we're bringing, they're going to want to get their kids out there. Uh, so we're, we're we're excited about this. We we do an outreach like this in Harlan County. We also do one in Greene County, Alabama. Uh, and uh, then, of course, uh, you may have read on my website, we, we also do mission work, sports-related, down in the Dominican Republic and other Latin American countries. But I love Kentucky, and so anytime I get a chance to reach out to, to my people, that's what I want to do. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I'll, I'll send you a message on, on Twitter or something like that to to get the dates and the websites and all that. That way we can definitely make sure to put it out. I've I got one last question. It's a curveball for you, and I'm sorry I've kept you a tad, a tad long, but it's it's a curveball for you, and it, we we got to have at least one curveball talking all this baseball. Um, <laughs> I, I did a, a little bit of research, so I, I knew that you were from Edmondson County, like you had mentioned, and with this past basketball season, we had the 100th anniversary of the Sweet 16. 
in the state of Kentucky. Mark Story did a lot of articles about that in the Herald Leader. And in 1976, Edmonton County gets credited with saving the Sweet 16 because a lot of Louisville teams have been winning the title year in and year out. So the team from your county comes in and, and wins one for the little guys. Where were you at at that time? Were you already coaching at UK? And, and what was the feeling like watching, you know, your county school run through the Sweet 16 that year? Well, you know what, Dean? Uh, for people my age, everybody knows where they were the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. I can tell you exactly where I was. That's just something that everybody remembers. And another date that I always remember is where where I was when Edmonton County played in the state championship in basketball. I was actually starting my coaching career down in Lake Wales, Florida. I was an assistant basketball coach and and baseball coach down there. And uh, my sister had come down to visit me, and I had a cousin living down there. So we get in a car, and we're trying to drive to find a signal where we can listen to the game. And it just so happened that Polk County, Florida, where we live, had the highest point in the state of Florida. Now, they don't have hills and mountains there like, like you know, we have in Kentucky. But we found this high point, and we could pick up bits and pieces of that game that was actually broadcast on WHAS at that time. Mm. And I can remember sitting in that car with my sister and my cousin listening to the Wildcats of Edmonton County win the state basketball championship, something that, that I dreamed of doing when I played there. But these that were, let's see, seven years younger than me, they were able to get it done, and what a thrill it was. It was, uh, you know, for years, uh, I, I want to say for 30 years after that, there was a sign when you send to Brownsville, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Edmonton County, it would say, welcome to, to Brownsville, home of the 1976 Edmonton County High School State Championship basketball team. Um, it, it was just, uh, uh, you know, the population of Brownsville is 800. And the mm. population of the entire county is only about 8,000. So that was really, really a big deal for us and, and something that we still talk about when I go home. Absolutely. I couldn't have you on and not ask about that. Once I found out that you were from Edmonton County, I, I knew there were some memories and uh, some stories about that. So I had to I had to ask you that while you're on with the coach. But thank you so much for for taking the time and, and me overstaying the time and, and, and tying you up a little bit longer than I said. I apologize for that. But we thoroughly enjoyed having you on and I'm looking forward to the games this weekend. Well, I, I enjoyed being with you all and uh, and hopefully we can do this again. And, and I, I really appreciate you uh, mentioning the fact that we're going to be down in Harlan County uh, in July, and I'll definitely get more information to you and and uh, appreciate you guys helping us out with that. All right. Thank you, Coach. No problem at all. Thank you so much, Coach. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Have a great evening. Thanks. That was former U.K. baseball coach Keith Madison.
I mean, TV, man, like you said, how enjoyable was that? Just so down to earth and, and, I mean, unbelievable that we were able to get him on right before the regional at the clip this weekend. Yeah, I wanted to tell him, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finally over. I, I let it go that he did not recruit me out of the Seneca High School here. You know, career 2 oh. hitter <laughs> with, with, with infield power. <laughs> you know, I'm finally, I'm finally over that. <laughs> that, that I didn't show up on any of his, any of his uh, recruiting uh, materials. You know, I'm okay with that. You know, but, but but seriously, you know, it go, it just goes back. Uh, we've said it particularly about football, but you can't just say that we just started playing baseball because we've had you know Cy Young pitchers come through the program. You know, it, this isn't a new yeah. a, a new thing. It's 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 a progression to get from, uh, like Coach Madison said, having part-time assistants, the only school in the SEC. And remember, you got to keep in his time frame. I just saw this, uh, I don't think it was a 30 for 30, but the documentary on Will Clark and Rafael Palmero, yeah. that 24 combination yeah. at Mississippi State. I mean, yeah. Mississippi State was, 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 was great, not just good, great. In, in, in LSU, we've got five or six uh, World Series titles. And it, it's just, it's for as deep as football is, or for as good as football is, I think SEC baseball is deeper when you look at the number of teams that have made it to Omaha, the number of teams that have won. And, you know, also keep in mind with Kentucky being the most northern school in the SEC, you know, not getting outside and, and being able to do as much as some of the other teams do. So there's that there's that curve where you're kind of against it. And and now that we're getting that investment into the program that the coach was talking about, you see what happens. Uh, I know we're going to uh, take a break here in a moment, but I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted this out. Uh, I saw this. And I can't remember where I borrowed this from, but – let me let me make sure that I'm accurate with this information because everybody knows how I am with the facts. Okay. In this this athletic year, 2016 to 17, only three Division One schools in the Power Five conferences reached the postseason in football, baseball, softball, men's and women's basketball. That's kind of your big sports. Only three. Schools did that this year, okay? Only three. Let me uh, emphasize only three have done that. The Florida Mm -hmm. State Seminoles, the Baylor University Bears, and the third one, your University of Kentucky Wildcats. So I hope right now, right today, and, and, and they are ranked ninth, the athletic program is ranked ninth in the Director's Cup standings with baseball still to conclude. So a deep run from the baseball team, probably cracking the top five, okay? I want to, and this is me getting on my soapbox, right now, May 31st, 2017, stop saying Kentucky only does men's basketball. Stop it. Stop saying that. Okay, 
I, I know softball fell a little short this year and, and, and whatnot, but stop saying that. The excellence is across the board. It has gone from a, a rare thing to, I mean, Coach Lawson and the softball team, and we can get into that a little bit, but it, it's disappointing, you know, kind of finishing in the Super Regional, where just a few years ago it was, hey, we're hosting the Regional, yay. The, it, it moves as you do better that, that uh, you know, like the, like the high jump, you keep raising it up a little bit more. You know, what Coach Stoops did for football, hey, hey, you made a bowl game, let's let's make some more noise this year. And uh, I think from the time uh, we were at UK to now, where it was the focus just on men's basketball, now it's on everything. Uh, now, like I said, the expectations have risen. You know, it would have been unheard of uh, 10, 15 years ago for the down season that women's basketball coach Mitchell had, you know, two years ago where there was talk of maybe replacing him, you know, and the season wasn't all that bad. The expectations are different. And not only are we meeting them, we're exceeding them because long-time listeners will remember when we had assistant uh, uh, AD Dwayne Peavy on talk about, we're not just trying to, to, to win and we're, it's championships. That's the barometer for what we are about, and that's what we have been doing here the last few years. Love Mitch, yep. hate Mitch Barnhart, whatever your personal opinion is. Objectively, objectively, look at what the teams are doing. And, and you, you can't argue with the numbers. You can't argue with the facts. Of all the Division One schools that are fielding athletic teams, all of them. And I think what basketball has 300 plus football has what 125, maybe 130, I think division one, only three. And I'm going to keep saying this only three <laughs> went to the postseason, and, 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 and that doesn't even take in men's and women's soccer, doesn't your, your tennis and all this kind of stuff in, in kind of the five big sports, only three went to the postseason. Oh, and each and every one of those sports, Kentucky being one, can we please, please stop saying that y'all just basketball? No, no, it's not. We went bowling and football, you know, beat the Heisman Trophy winner at his place as a 35-point <laughs> underdog. Stop saying yeah. these stupid things. Stop. And this year, which we all thought was going to be a rebuilding year, for women's basketball, Coach Mitchell and Michaela Absent, uh-uh, no. And, and, and if you look at their numbers for the season, uh, the team numbers for the women's basketball team, they, the numbers weren't very good. And, frankly, I was surprised that they were able to do as well as they were able to do. So, look, the investment that, that, uh, that, that Mitch Barnhart and the athletic program has put in to these quote-unquote minor sports, it's paying off. And we can see it when, and this is the last time I'll say it, only three schools <laughs> in the five, Power Five conferences reach the postseason in these sports. So, you know, remember the year of the card? This, this is, this, and I said then, wait, the year of the card in 2013, 
and U of L had a lot of success. I don't, I don't knock that. But look at what's happened since then. It ain't been all bad for the years of the Cats. So I'm off my soapbox. I wanted to get that out there. I thought that was a pretty interesting t- tidbit for a, a school that's just a, a basketball school. Yeah, and it, that's a testament to how hard that is to do. Like you, you emphasized, only three schools were able to pull it off. So that, that lets you know uh, that there's no easy task in, in Kentucky and Mitch Barnhart and all the coaches that he put in place in their respective sport were able to accomplish that this season. So they definitely – uh, deserve a lot of congratulations. And speaking of, we'll play congratulations for our break. One of our songs by Miles and Mario, uh, eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. If you want to give us a call, feel free to do so. In a few minutes from now, about five or six minutes, we'll have Craig Bates on again to talk Stanley Cup. Now the Stanley Cup Finals are here. Nashville and Pittsburgh have already played Game One, Game Two tonight. NBA Finals finally get here tomorrow. Terry and I definitely have to get our thoughts out on that. Uh, JaVale McGee's intelligence gets questioned, as well as some real-life situations. To quote the old Outcast song, uh, so we'll talk about that as well, as well as a, a decision that we were waiting last week for, and it came after we were on the show uh, in the Wednesday with Hamadou Diallo. Old news now, but we'll still talk about that as well. So um, we'll take a quick break, and then after that, the break is over a couple minutes after that, we'll have Craig Bates on the top of the world, Stanley Cup. But this is Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be back in a couple minutes.
Welcome back to the show. I'm sorry. Apologize. I had my mic on mute. People on Facebook Live heard me. Shout out to them. But uh, Benny Hardy, Terry Brown here. Uh, enjoyed leading off the show with former UK baseball coach Keith Madison. All his insight, all his thoughts and perspectives as we look forward to UK hosting the region. Uh, the regional this weekend at the Cliffs, uh, along with Indiana, Ohio, and NC State. Uh, so definitely exciting times there. Um, and appreciate the people popping in on Facebook Live uh, with my buddy Tony Wallace on there. Jameen Meadows shared the video. She's in Williamsburg and believe blue just like we all do. Um, speaking of my buddy Tony Wallace, uh, I went to the series finale against Tennessee up at the Cliff, the Kentucky Baseball, the Sunday game. And Tony has a little boy that's right in between our boys' age and six years old. So I asked him if he wanted to go. Uh, he wanted to go. I'm riding up to the game someday. Y'all want to go? Taking the boys. You want to take Jakari, uh, their little boy. So he was deciding if he wanted to go with us or not, TB. And I think I asked him on that Thursday, you know, you want to ride up? I'm going to ride up Sunday. And so game one of the series is Friday and Kentucky beat Tennessee like 15 to 1 or something like that. They blew them out. Game two is Saturday, and I think Kentucky beat Tennessee 8 to 2, something like that. Another lopsided score. And so I think Saturday night he finally texted me and said, Yeah, we'll go. We'll ride up. And so we're riding up to Lexington, and he said, Man, <laughs> I saw that score Friday, and I'm thinking of a three hour drive up there. Just to just to watch him get you know beat down like that, and that's why he was debating on whether he wanted to go or not because he saw he saw how bad Kentucky was beating him already. So when we get up there, get our tickets and sit down and all, Tennessee goes three up, three down. Kentucky's up, and I think Tristan Pompey starts the game off with a hit, and so he leans over and says, "Hey man, you ready to go?" So he and of course Kentucky went on to win like seven to two, so he already knew pretty much. What was going to happen, but we have fun riding up and taking in a game at the cliff anyway. Uh, and, and Tony endured the beatdown that Kentucky put on the Cats. And I know he's got Facebook Live popped up, so appreciate everybody listening there as well. But uh, he knew what was about to happen, and, and we had a fun trip up there anyway, so it was, it was cool. Um, speaking of fun and knowledge, we have always had fun when we have our good friends. Former UC Philadelphia, UC Hobby Hall of Famer, Craig Bates on. And so now that the Stanley Cup Finals are in full swing, game one is in the books, we will have Craig join us again to give us his thoughts and perspectives as Pittsburgh took game one. We are proud to have the newly engaged Craig Bates on the show. Congratulations and welcome to the show, Craig. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, my fiance and I are, are riding over, uh, going to maybe go watch some, watch a little bit of the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. See what what's going to happen in in Game Two. And uh, you know, as as always, gentlemen, a pleasure to be with you. I'm thinking we got our connection stuff going well tonight, so I don't know what to do about that, but we'll just run with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Before I flub something else up, just go ahead and run with it, man. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, man, it, it's like, you know, anytime, like I tell you, every time we always make that 
that Beano Cook reference, but hey, it's all good. But you know, it, it's going to be a great it's going to be a great night tonight. You know, it's uh, game two. It, it it really is. You know, I, we have conversations all the time about you know about what game if you're going to go see a game, and you know, and this is applicable to any sport. You know, NBA, NHL, anything where you've got multiple ones. You know, we've always had that conversation of which is which is the most important game. You know, and I've always been a believer. You know, the game that game four is is huge because you can either have a sweep, you can either go where somebody's going to go up three games to one, someone's going to go up two games to two. But in this particular situation, game two tonight for uh, you know for the Preds especially is, is going to be a huge one because if they can steal one when they're up there in Pittsburgh and you know and, and come back to the to the just absolutely raucous crowd there in Nashville, you know with with a split in Pittsburgh, I think it's going to be. You know, it's going to be interesting. I know that they're probably having to, to budget enough time to clear all the catfish off the ice, you know, after after what happened in game one, coming into Nashville on Thursday. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a plethora of catfish, I think, on the ice at some point in the game. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. So this is the – once again, you're going to get a lot of casual questions from me, and I apologize. It's not, it's not going to really – No, you – Challenge it's all, that's, that's what I'm here for, man. I'm I'm here to espouse the hockey knowledge. That's you know, that's why I'm blessed to have you know, blessed by you guys to let me be on there so we can so we can get everybody going with with everything with hockey. Is the catfish is that is that Nashville's version of the octopus and octopi in Detroit? Is that is that just kind of what the tradition that's, that's, that's exactly that that's exactly what it was. You know, when the Preds first came in. You know, as you all probably know, you know, Saturn and, and GM was having a bunch of plants, so there's a bunch of Detroit folks that moved into the Nashville area, Spring Hill and that area, and, you know, they would throw their, their octopi on the ice, and, you know, that actually came out from back in the day. It used to take eight wins to win the Stanley Cup, eight wins, eight arms, octopi. So, you know, someone knew it, did it as a, you know, as a catfish for a southern version of it, and, oh. you know, that, that's how it started, and it's not like every time like it used to be. And you know, in Detroit, it looked it used to look like a fever dream because they would score a big goal, and there would be you know octopi flying all over the place. And then, you know, they kind of curbed that a little bit. So I think they kind of save it for for special occasions. So that's where that's come from. And you know, the only person I feel you know I feel bad for. I feel bad for the people that have to pick the catfish up off the ice because that's pretty nasty. I think the only person I feel worse for about the catfish thing is Monte Teo because it's bringing up some bad memories for him. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> wow. you know, any, anytime we oh. can get a dig at Notre Dame, I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah, with he, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was funny because I, I, I looked up something earlier today, you know, about the catfish and throwing catfish. And, you know, most of the stories were about the guy in Pittsburgh. Who got, you know, they got – was going to have a misdemeanor fine, but sure enough, there was three or four rehashing the old uh, Monte Teo catfishing stories. I'm like, you know, the dude's got to get a break sometimes because that's one of those things you'll never live down. But what can I say? I'm the guy bringing it up right now, so I guess it's going to live on for, in perpetuity. And we're the guys laughing at it, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, but, no, you know, going, going back to with what you were saying. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I mean another another casual question, but I could have looked it up, but I thought, well, let me just save it for Craig. But where where did the Nashville Predators move to Nashville from? 
what did they what franchise did it used to be? Or was it an expansion team that just started in that? It it was actually an expansion team. They uh they brought them in in ninety eight. 97, 90, okay. 96, 97, 98, that whole area. And they were actually an expansion team. There was there was some dark days back in the mid-2000s where uh, Jim Bastille, the guy that, that owned uh, BlackBerry, he actually ha- was trying to buy it from, from the owners. Um, the, you know, he was having a little bit of a hard time there for a while, and they tried to buy him. And he actually was going to move them to Hamilton, Ontario, just south of Toronto. But, you know, nothing had been agreed to um, – and so he actually started selling stuff. They kind of quashed, you know, squashed him down. Bettman squashed him down a little bit, and they wound up, uh, you know, they wound up keeping him there. And, and since that time, it really has turned into, you know, the place to be. They've had, you know, went a long time without the playoffs. Went to the playoffs didn't do a lot. You know, a few years back, they, you know, they got up to almost the conference, to the conference finals. They lost to Arizona, and then you know, last year they lost to, to you know, to the Sharks. And so. Yeah, this year it's been it's been huge for you know for for really driving the the needle as far as as hockey is concerned and yeah there's a lot of guys as as is the case with everything else you know there's there's players that are on the preds you know PK Subban is a guy you know it would have been an interesting one Mike Fisher you know uh, Kerry Underwood's husband the guy that's the captain of the team he actually spent the first part of his career in Ottawa um, you know it was it was interesting that you know there were people that were talking about that he might be coming back. If Ottawa had beat had beat the Penguins to come back and do stuff, yeah, you've got David Poyle, who is the general manager of the Preds, who's literally been in, you know, been a general manager, you know, running a team for 30 plus years, and he was with the Capitals for a long time, you know, has been with the Preds since their inception, and this is the first time that he's ever actually taken a team to the Stanley Cup, and so you know, there's a lot of people that are rooting for him, and there's a lot of people that are, you know, that are really enamored with the story of what. You know of, of what the Preds have done. It, it's been such a funny narrative to me. We were talking to somebody about this the other night that you know it originally was oh it's hockey in the South and blah you know it's just like Arizona it's just like this and and since the national exposure has come in and, and seen how raucous the crowds are there in Nashville and it's more like you know there's been a lot of people that have been talking about that you know that the crowds are more like a like a European soccer game with the chants and the the, you know, and, and just the, the game day experience, and I think we had talked about that last time. There's there are so many people now, you know, on the national level that are saying, you know, if you have a a bucket list place to go, go to Nashville and see a game. There's Canadian sports writers, which is, you know, if you get through to some of them, then, you know, it, it's like getting through to anybody. And and you know, they're saying, hey, Canadian cities, you ought to look to how Nashville does things for game day presentation how inspired their crowd is, how they get everybody into it. Yes, this may be, you know, our game in Canada, but you all could take a lesson from how they're doing things in Nashville. And so it has really kind of, you know, turned the narrative around so that, you know, everyone's going, well, yeah, why aren't our crowds pumped up as this? And why aren't our people as as excited as they are in Nashville? And, yeah, you get the naysayers that say, oh, once they start not playing well, it won't be that way. But I think you'll be surprised. You know, it was it was funny you know, I, as you guys know, I coach kids on Tuesday Night Hockey, and uh, one of the TV stations in Knoxville came out and did a story on youth hockey in in, in Knoxville and how you know how well it grew. And there was you know they they did interviews with us and you know had some of the kids out there playing, and you know just really it really has taken on a life of its own, and it's and it's extending out not just into 
you know, into Nashville, but, but throughout Tennessee. And actually, a lot of people through the South, there's some buddies of mine that I know that aren't hockey guys that are, you know, sort of like you guys, big basketball guys, asking where they can get Preds hats. And so it's, you know, to me, it's, it's a wave and it's good for the sport of hockey in the South. And, you know, and to me, I'm, I'm all for it. Talking with UT Hockey Hall of Famer Craig Bates, our resident Stanley Cup NHL expert to educate Terry and myself. Um, talk about Nashville being an expansion team. So I'm going to go out on the limb. You mentioned the dark times. This is, the, this is, of course, the first time in the Stanley Cup finals. I'm going to go out on the limb and say that the original coach and GM and all that are no longer there. So since it's the franchise's first time in the Stanley Cup Finals, are there any members of the team, the coach or players that have maybe played in Stanley Cups elsewhere to maybe bring a little Stanley Cup experience to the table for the franchise? Well, and actually, you know, their, their general manager, David Poyle, has actually been there since the beginning. So he's been with okay. the team the entire right. time. So he he's been there what since they started. Now their head coach Peter Laviolette. I went out on the limb that fell down. <laughs> well, you know the limb, the limb just rattled a little bit. It didn't break. You know it's the you know it's the when the bell breaks the baby will fall. Well, it, it, it's oh, it cracked goodness. a little bit, but it's close enough. How about that? <laughs> but uh, but now David Poyle is the one that's been there. Now Peter Laviolette, the head coach. Actually, he's won a Stanley Cup before. He's one of the few coaches that's ever taken actually three three separate teams to a Stanley Cup final. He uh, he actually won one with the Carolina Hurricanes, took the Flyers there, and then now is there with the Preds. So he's you know he's won one Stanley Cup, and you know a lot of the players. It, it's funny because most of the players, you know, just off the top of my head, I think there's one or two of the guys that are that are there that have been there for a while that you know that may have some Stanley Cup experience, but for the most part, it is a very young, very, uh, you know, not inexperienced, but, is, you know, it's just a team that, that's played above their heads the whole time and really know, has just done everything right this playoffs. You know, the the outcome in game one, in game one you know, yes, they lost 5-3. to three. The last goal was an empty netter. But if you look at how the Preds played on, you know, it's one of the on-paper matchups, you know, Pittsburgh had – and, and to give you an idea, just, you know, an average number of shots on goal in a game is, a you know, give or take 30. And that's, you know, somebody comes in, goalie has to make a save, you know, shot actually on the goalie. The the actual, you know, average around there is, is basically about 30 shots a game. For the entire game, the Penguins had 12 shots, which in the entire second period actually didn't have a shot on goal the entire period. Pecorini played a little bit shaky, gave up three goals in the first period. You know, they had the, the Preds had a goal waved off. They would have gone up one nothing, but they had a goal waved off. And, you know, and the Penguins scored three. But, you know, for the Preds, they came back and tied the, the game up in the third period. You know, there was a, a goal real late that made it 4-3, and then there was an empty net goal that got the final score 5-3. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm a Preds fan or if I'm somebody – who, you know, I might not be a Preds fan all the time, but I'm somebody who doesn't like the Penguins all of the time, every moment of every day, so I can say that. Um, you know, for me, it was it, – it's it's something to take out of it. You know, it's – you know, they, they were down 3 nothing to the defending Stanley Cup champions in their building, and, you know, they wound up coming back and tying the game, and, yeah, they gave up a goal late. And, you know, 
Pekka Rinne is, is, a, is a big reason why the Preds are even in this position because, you know, he has, he has just played, you know, lights out as a goalie this year. And so, you know, he had a bad game. The team picked him up, did a good job. And so the way that that, you know, for them, there's a lot of things to build on. You know, P.K. Subban said it himself. You know, he said, hey, look, you know, he said, hey, look, you know, we, it all, it, for all intents and purposes, you know, we outplayed them that game. And it's not just a bunch of bravado. It's the, it's the truth. They really did outplay him. The Penguins found a way to win, which is, you know, why they're up one to nothing. But, you know, I think the Preds, you know, they could have laid over, you know, they could have rolled over and died, but instead they really, they really did a lot to, to come back and, you know, have a, have a lot of things to build on for game two. And, to bring this point way back around to where I originally started, if you can believe I can get back to that point, game two to me is a huge game. Um, you know, I think I'd start out saying game four was huge and we just kind of go all over the map, but game two really is huge because you've got a chance, like I said, the Preds can make it 1-1 and take it back to their home crowd in Nashville where they have just, you know, played incredibly the entire time. Or, you know, they can they can be down 2 nothing and still have – you know, some sense of momentum, but really how they play tonight will, I think, really go a long way to see what they can do as far as, you know, making this a, a, a you know, a, a hopefully a five, six, seven game series for them. And that's why I think tonight's going to be, be a huge game because I think they have plenty to build on. You know, as you guys know, playing in any championship event, sport, your nerves are going to be on high and you're going to be, you know, hyped up for what you're trying to do and, and playing with it, you know, to get my coach speak, you know, stuff on, but, you know, playing within yourself and playing within your head and just doing your job. Yeah. When you're, when you're making it all the way to the, to this grind to get to the finals, sometimes that can get away from you. And I think that's, you know, they, they got, they got their mouths bloodied in that first game. And then, you know, they have a chance to come back tonight and really show, you know, show that they, that they can do something against the Penguins. You'd be proud to know, Craig, that I, I did watch most of the third period of game one, and I, I plan on getting in a little bit sooner for game two, try to catch maybe some of the first and second period. But when, you know, Nashville kind of seized the momentum, and the next thing you know, the game was tied, and and uh, Pittsburgh was kind of reeling a little bit, and then they got that goal to go ahead four to three and, and kind of take the momentum back. When they when Nashville pulled the goalie, uh, and then you saw the empty net goal. When a team does, you know, pull their goalie, is there a stat or a percentage of how often an empty net goal usually results? Once that is the case, you know, you know, as far as like straight numbers, generally it's you know what you what you'll see. And again, if you and if you watch it again, you'll see most of the time when you pull a goalie. Um, you're pulling them when you have possession down in, you know, down in the other team's zone. And so, you know, I think empty net goals, it's something like 60, 65% of the time, but don't, you know, I'm not a numbers guy. I've been hitting the head a lot playing hockey. So I'm just going to throw that number out there. And I may be, I may be falling off that same limb that you did, but Hey, we'll fall together. So it's all good. Um, But honestly, it's, it's one where, you know, you have an opportunity there where you'll see a lot of times where, where players will come in and, and really push with that extra goalie because one of the, you know, to back it up, you know, one of the rules, one of the base rules of, of hockey is, is ice in your own zone and you throw it down the other length, of, the entire length of the ice and it doesn't go in the goal, then they do a face-off back, you know, in front of your goalie. And so that's a lot of the times when you've got six guys on five, when you have your goalie pulled, you're trying to find, you know, theoretically one person should be open 
and one person should be able to to do something. And so you try and create a lot of traffic in front and clog up clog up the front so that you can screen the goalies and you screen the goalie and get a chance to you know to find have a shot that goes in. And a lot of the times the teams will just try and throw it down the length of the ice and, and take the ice and call. And if they get an empty net goal, that's great. You know, in the game game six against the Ducks, Forsberg made that play where he he got the first you know he got the empty net goal for the Preds. He was down just to the side of Rene and threw it down the length of the ice and and scored the empty netter that way. And you know, and if you can make that shot, it's great. But if you don't, you know, the problem is is that. You know, if they, there's an icing call, not only are they going to do a face-off right in front of your goalie, but you can't change your players. If you're on defense mm-hmm. and you ice the puck and they're tired, and, you know, it used to be in the NHL where you could change up after an icing. So if somebody was tired, they would just ice the puck and then change everybody up. But if you do it now where you ice the puck because, you know, because the players are gassed and they, you know, they don't have any more legs left, they have to stay out on the ice until, the, until after the face-off. And so, you know, it's, it's really a ploy to try and get – pressure on the goalie and you know you'll see one of the big things that's happened in the last few years in hockey is goal or you know goalies are getting pulled much earlier than they used to I mean there was games this year where a team was down by two goals and there was four minutes to go in the game and they pulled the goalie with four minutes to go um you know and that's that to me is an as an old school you know an old-time hockey guy was you know kind of like dogs and cats living together because I'm going what are you doing you know you have a chance to get pressure here and but it, you know, it's a real, you know, it's it's a high risk, high reward strategy where, you know, if you're gonna, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, the thought process behind it is, is if you if you give up an empty net goal with four minutes left and you give up an empty net goal with one minute left, what's different? It's still an empty net goal, and so it's it's been a real interesting, you know, change in in strategy for people in in that regard, and you know, and and for me that's what you know, especially if you're down four or three in the first Stanley Cup game. Yeah, you pull the goalie because you're gonna have a better chance if you give one up. You know, you're gonna, the thought process is is you're gonna lose anyway, so you at least you know you go down swinging. And so you know right. that's that's where it it wasn't a bad move. You know, if you have, you know, if they score the goal, you know, if, a lot of the times you'll see where it'll be usually about a minute left, minute and a half left, where they'll pull the goalie, especially when the guy's taken in the zone. You got a chance for the goalie to come off, the player to come on. And you have numbers where you have six on five. But, I mean, I, I understand completely why LaViolette did it. But, you know, it, you look, people look at the score and go, oh, wow, they lost five to three. But, you know, from a hockey standpoint, most of the time that extra goal that's tacked on, there's an empty netter. And, it, you know, it counts on the scoreboard, but it doesn't really count because, you, you know, you went down trying to, trying to tie the game up. Right. Now, I am kind of a numbers guy. Uh and haven't been You're a better man than I am because you know, <laughs> you know, I I got to be barefoot to count to twenty. So hey, I'm good. So <laughs> you you talked about how Pittsburgh went like the entire second period without any shots on goal, and and, and the reason I'm asking is you just mentioned how teams are pulling goalies a lot quicker and and giving them a shorter leash. To have that few shots on goal. And yet, still be up three nothing or whatever it was. Did did uh, Nashville pull their goalie? You know, because it seemed like he was letting a lot of pucks get through. Not a lot of shots, but they were, you know, Pittsburgh right. found a way to get a lot of points on goal. You know, it, it's funny because being a goalie, you know, that's a, the story I always tell. My younger brother, uh, my younger brother's a state trooper up in Virginia. When he he's eight years younger than I am, and when he was a kid, I needed somebody to shoot at, so I turned him into a goalie. Um, because you know I needed somebody to shoot at. So the reason I bring that up is is goalies aren't always the most uh, you know 
I'm going to try and put it in a nice way because I think my brother may be listening. Goalies are a little off center sometimes. You know what I mean? So you have a goalie that you know that might be uh, you know who might be having an off night. You've got a guy like Pekarene who played lights out. That you know is the whole reason that you know that the Preds are in the Stanley Cup final is, is he's a huge part of it. And sometimes you, you have nerves. It could be you know having an off night. Whatever it is, and in that situation, you know, you might you might replace him with your backup goalie, but then you start getting into the whole psychology of, you know, well, how will that mess with his psyche? How will he re- respond to that? And I think, you know, sometimes if it's a regular season game, sometimes a goalie is off, he's off, and you know, and and you, and you swap him out with somebody else. But in this in this way, with it being the Stanley Cup final, you know, you let him in there, and and honestly, he came back and you know and made some some good saves. It's you know, it's the old. Uh, the old dad talk about it's not it's not the uh, you know it's not it, it's not how, you know they don't ask you how you score they ask you how many and if the goals that he was giving up were were weak then you know that's one thing but you know he was actually the shots they were getting were quality shots and so I think he was able to kind of pull it together a little bit and you know I that that's why to me tonight's going to be such a such a fascinating game because it'll be interesting to see you know if he if he stands on his head again and and really you know plays the way that he's played the rest of the playoffs then, you know, that's one thing. If he comes in and lets in a couple of soft goals, it may, you know, it may force Laviolette's hand to possibly put in, in the backup, who's a rookie named Soros, who's a you know, second-year guy, who's you know, hasn't played one single minute of the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. But, I, you know, I personally think that, that Pecorini will come in and do a great job and, and is probably mad, more mad at himself than he is at anything else for letting in some soft goals because, you know, it's nerves, it's whatever you want to call it. You know, he didn't play up to the way that he knows he's playing, and you know, being the kind of goalie he is, I think he will uh, he will do a great job. And on, and on Pittsburgh's side, you know, you have that's that's one of the things nobody's really talked about. Their goalie uh, right now is a guy named uh, Matt Murray, who was you know second year guy and took them to a Stanley Cup last year. Their normal goalie was a, a guy named Mark Andre Fleury, who is you know had won a Stanley Cup for them years ago. And Murray had gotten hurt and was playing bad at the end of the year, so they started. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury, who led them through the playoffs, and then in I think the third round he played he played a, just a terrible, terrible game, and they pulled and put Murray in, and Murray's been having a job since then. So, you know, on the Pittsburgh side, yeah, you know, you've got Murray, who's a young guy who's already won one Stanley Cup. You've got the veteran in Mark Andre Fleury, who helped get them where they are, but then got pulled because he had a, a terrible game. You know. If something happens where Murray lets in a few goals, it's that same chess match where you put Flurry in and hope he does something. You leave Murray in there. You know, there's so many moving parts with 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 how you use your goalies and how you use the different lines that you have playing with it. I mean, it's one of the more you know one of the more fascinating parts of of, of especially when you get to this this level of the Stanley Cup playoffs about all the different moving parts that are out there that you have to think about. Is it you know? Is it in the guy's head in goal, or is it just having an off night and then he's going to come back mad the next night and play even harder? You know, there's so many different factors here. And, and like I said, the old story that they used to, you know, there was an old story about one of the more famous goalies. I think his name was Jacques Plante, the guy that created the, uh, the guy that created the first mask in the NHL. You know, they were talking to him about, you know, pressure and everything else. And some, you know, he was talking to a doctor about pressure. The doctor said, well, you know, you should be able to handle pressure as a goalie. And he says, well, how would you like it in your job if every time you made a mistake, a red light went on and 18,000 people booed at you? <laughs> okay. You know, that's, that's a different kind of pressure. So, but, you know, it, it's, that's, that's going to be the interesting parts of game two here is to see exactly what, 
you know, how the how the Preds come out because you know they were playing really well. They came back. You know, they they've they've been on the shoulders of of Pecorine all all playoffs. You know, and, and this would be the chance where I would I would have no doubt in the locker room that you know that that the players told them after the game and in practice today and before the game tonight, hey, you carry us this far. You know, we know you're going to carry us some more, and you know, and we've got your back just like you've got ours. Right. CB man, you got any questions for for Craig? You know, I don't, I don't jump in. I got all long winded and stuff. Man, you you've been dominating all of our guests uh, here today, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I, I'm I'm not much uh, of a of a hockey guy, but uh, I have tuned in uh, for these playoffs, and I've got a question for you with the Capitals kind of not getting it done this year. Does does that kind of put the burden? Like, what what do they do? Like, we we know that in in, in sports you've got kind of that that championship window, but with the Capitals kind of not getting it done, what is their next move going to be? Do you well, you know, it's 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 funny to me because you know there's we talked about this a little bit last time. You've got a lot of moving parts here. Yeah, there's going to be an expansion draft for the the new Las Vegas team. You know, the end of middle of June, there's gonna be, you know, they're gonna do the expansion draft. They're gonna do the NHL draft. You know, when you were talking about, uh, you know, when we were talking about earlier about the coach, you know, the Preds are on their second coach. Their first coach was a guy named Barry Trotz, who was there for 18 years, and you know, he took over as the Capitals coach two years ago. Good guy, you know, really, really hardworking coach. But you know, it's funny because. David Poyle, the GM of the of the Predators, came from Washington. He was the Washington Capitals, you know, assistant GM, GM, and he came over there. It's one of the more famous uh, thing, lopsided trades ever. Philip Forsberg, who's playing for the Preds right now, was a part of the Capitals organization, and David Poyle got him in a trade for you know what for a player that was a decent player, Martin Erat, and basically a puck bag. And now Forsberg's 22 <laughs> is going to be leading the team forever. Um, you know, to, to your point, the, the big question that's out there, and, and it's one of the more interesting questions that's been out there, is there has been talk that, you know, that the Caps may look at trading Alexander Ovechkin. And, you know, it's right now it's talk, but you look at him with, you know, you talk about your championship windows and everything else. You know, he's, he's 32, and that might not seem that old in some things, but in hockey years that's getting up there a little bit. You know, he he makes a, a you know a, a a great salary. He's still one of the most dynamic players you know I've ever seen personally and and on TV. You know, if you haven't if you've never seen it, I'll even I'll send you guys a link to it. The goal he scored his rookie year, where he literally scored a goal from his back, is probably one of the greatest hockey plays I've ever seen in my life. And I'll uh, I'll have to send it to you because even you know they were playing the Arizona Coyotes. The coach of the Coyotes at that time was was uh, Wayne Gretzky. And when Wayne Gretzky looks up at the Jumbotron to see your highlight of your goal, you know that you've done something right. And so, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a great thing in the video because, you know, I, I watched it. I happened to be watching it live, and I rewound it like three times because I couldn't believe what I just saw. So to go back, you know, to, go back to the Caps, that's going to be the big question. You know, they've got a lot of guys that are going to be – they've got a lot of guys that are going to be free agents. T.J. Oshie, who is – you know the guy that, if you remember in the Olympics a few years ago, scored all the uh, scored all the goals for the U.S. against Russia in the shootout. You've got, 
you know, they they made a big offseason move with a guy named Kevin Shattenkirk, who they knew was going to be a, a free agent at the end of the year and thought they might re-sign him. And he, you know, he probably cost himself a few million dollars because he didn't play very well in the playoffs. You've got, you know, Braden Holtby, who's their goalie, who's expected to do a lot of good things, and he has not really been doing much much of anything for them. So you've got a lot of questions where are they going to be doing something where they're going to, you know, blow the team up because they've got a lot of money invested in Ovechkin. Now the problem is is that Ted Leones is the guy that owns the Capitals, is the guy that started AOL. So he's got a, you know, I know my parents still have an AOL account, so he must be doing something right. Um, <laughs> but they still haven't. You know, he's got to start AOL, and he is a, you know, he's a, Ovechkin is his centerpiece. You know what I mean? He's, he's, a, he's a very good owner. He's got a blog. He's very, you know, he works a lot with the people. But, you know, are you ready to trade <clears throat> your centerpiece? You know, probably one of the two or three most recognized players in the NHL at this time. Are you going to trade that guy? And so, you know, it comes down to do you want to be leading the league in merchandise sales and, and say you have Alexander Ovechkin on your team, or do you want to try and do something with your, you know, with what you've got here to, to try and make your team better? And that's going to be a real interesting conundrum for them because they might have to make a choice one way or the other. And, you know, my personal conjecture, you know, we've talked about this before. I agree. I grew up in Boston and D.C., and I've been going to Caps games every year, and it was, you know, the three things you can count on in the spring in D.C. are the cherry blossoms, taxes, and the Capitals bowing out in either the first or second round of the playoffs. It always happens. They never, you know, they can never get over that hump. And so, you know, that's going to be the big question is which direction they're going to go with. Barry Trotz, their coach, who led them, you know, to the best, the best record in the NHL, you know, they gave him a very short leash. You would think a guy that's, you know, won what they call the President's Trophy for most points, you know, he's basically on his on his coaching life right now because he's got – they haven't extended his contract. He's basically got one year left. You know, is that what, – what is he going to be able to do in that year? And that's going to be the part that's interesting. And, and, you know, as a hockey guy, they're always missing – you know, there's always that one element that in any sport that you need that one – you know, that one glue player, that one person that kind of puts you over the top. And every year at the trade deadline, it seems like the Capitals get the guy that's supposed to put them over the top, and it never happens. And, you know, they find a way. You know, I know my Rangers beat them a few years ago. The Penguins have beaten, I think, in the playoffs, eight out of the nine last years. The Penguins have beat them. It's just – it's insane that they aren't able to find a way to, to really get over, get over that hump as far as, as the playoffs are concerned. And that's going to be, that's going to be. Sorry about lost my phone. That was going to be the uh, the most interesting thing for me is to see what tack that they're going to take. Are they just going to, you know, stay with mediocrity, or are they going to try and really do something that, you know, shakes the franchise up? Because you know they they've got a great arena, they've got a great core group of players, they've got you know a lot of moving parts in place. There's a lot of people that you know that love the Caps, but it's you know. It's like watching, you know, it's like being a Cleveland Browns fan in the, you know, in the eighties, you know, when, you know, you knew something bad was going to happen. It was, you know, and it's usually going to be John Elway or something having to do with Denver, but you know, all my friends that are still in the DC area are the most fatalistic people when it comes to the caps. They'll be like, yeah, it's a great regular season. They're going to blow it in the playoffs. Yeah. They ran through the first round, but they're going to blow it in the second round. Oh, great. We're going to play Pittsburgh. I may as well go ahead and make my golf tee times now because we're never going to beat them. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, what is that change that's going to need to be made to the mentality of the team? And it's, and it's the same way, you know, if you look at it as an example, 
you look at what the Preds did. You know, the Preds, you know, could never get by the Red Wings their first few years, you know, when they when they would finally make the playoffs. They got by the Red Wings. That was the first step, you know. Couldn't get by the Blackhawks. This year they swept them. You know, couldn't get by, you know, couldn't win the big game to, to get there. Well, this year they've done it. And that's why, you know, I have a lot of belief in, in, in really whoever wins my, you know, it's not, it's, you know, that limb's getting smaller and smaller for me for going out in a limb, but whoever wins, the, I think whoever wins the game tonight will win, will win the Stanley Cup. I mean, it's going to be that important. It's, wow. If the Preds can come in and, and beat them, beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh tonight, then I think that, that they'll win the Cup. If Pittsburgh, you know, goes up 2 to nothing and they win it, I think Pittsburgh will win the Cup. I mean, uh, that's the importance of that, you know, in my opinion, of the game tonight. I, you know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong in the past, but I just have a feeling that, Whoever is the one that wins this game tonight will be the one that will eventually take the Stanley Cup home. And we'll we'll definitely get you on again to recap once this series is over. But you mentioned Barry Trott, the coach of the Caps. Is this the guy that started and was the first coach in Predators history? Am I hearing that? Yes, that is that is correct. He was the first coach in hey. Preds history. He was there. I'm yeah, there we see. There we go. I'm, I'm we got it. Crazy. We got you. Got it going on now. And <laughs> you know, and, and it, I think it was time. It was a good time for a change because, you know, with any with any coach, you know, things can get you know unless you're John Wooden or you know, or the late Pat Summit or somebody that's been there forever, you know, you want to get or uh, now now correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to throw it to you, but is it? Alonzo Rupp, is that correct? Rupp Adolf. Arena, what was his first name? Adolf. 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 I had I had the vowel right, so that's you know I'm not a basketball guy, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm 87 percent pleased with that, and that wasn't a Sidney Crosby reference because I'm not a fan of his. But anyway, but you know I knew Mr. Rupp. Let's put it that way. You know you have somebody that that has been there. Um, and now, you know, there's a bunch of a bunch of your listeners from Kentucky that are going to come down and beat the crap out of me. I know it, but I'm, I apologize. I'm not a basketball guy. Um, but you know, to me, it's it's the interesting part of it is, you know, the, the shelf life for coaches is becoming shorter and shorter. And you know, you look at at some of the coaches. I think the the longest tenured coach in the NHL right now is six, seven years. You know, NFL, you got you know a Belichick, and you got some of these other guys that've been there, and and you know. The, the shelf life of, of coaches is getting shorter and shorter. And so, you know, it, it's like they're playing, you know, they're playing, they're coaching season to season. And, you know, for the teams like the Preds and the teams that have, you know, that have, have taken a long view of it, you know, they're the ones that, you know, you, you be a little bit bold in your, in your strategies of making trades and you be a little bit, you know, stay the course. And, you know, and, and, and we all know this as fans, you know, when you're a fan of a team, you don't want to stay the course. You don't want to think about a three or four year rebuilding model. You want something to happen now. And, you know, I, and, and that's the way that, you know, that it kind of happens with, with fandom is that you want it, you, you know, you want to see some tangible results quickly. And so, you know, the, the Preds stayed a long time with Barry Trotz, figured out it was a good way for, you know, a good time for him to move on, brought in Peter LaViolette and, you know, and he's done some, some great things in a, in a quick amount of time. And, you know, I, I think that's the big thing is is no matter what happens with the Preds in the Stanley Cup final, you know, the sustainability for the team, the sustainability for, you know, what it's done for the sport. You know, I, I, I was reading a, a tweet the other day from somebody that was excited about the fact, and, you know, and this, it made me laugh because I'm like, hey, 
whatever it does for you. But they were excited because the Preds made the final, which means they'll be one of the two automatic teams when you crank up NHL 18 on your Xbox or PS4. <laughs> I'm right. like, you know what? That, that you, you're right. That is a good. That's a way to get you know, and that's an exciting, you know, for some people, that's an exciting thing. I, I may have possibly injured myself, rolling my eyes when I read that, and then told the kid to get off my lawn. But still, you know, it, it's whatever it does to, to build up momentum and whatever it does to, to get people engaged. You know, that's that's to me the crux of what's what's been so great about this about this run by the Preds is that it's turning, you know. Hockey fans into more hockey fans, casual hockey fans into into more hardcore fans, and bringing kids, people, anybody you know that normally isn't into hockey, you know, it, it, it's really done a lot to do that. And, and you know, the only problem I have is you know, the old school hockey fans that get all bent out of shape. Well, I remember the team back when they, you know, when nobody was going to the games. Well, good for you. Now there's more people here. Be happy about it. Share, you know, spread the gospel of hockey out to other people, and you know, and just. You know, make 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 it something where this is you know because there's kids growing up today that you know that this is getting their first taste of hockey and you know and they're hooked and you know that for any sport getting the you know getting the the kids involved and getting them into something where they really want to do it that's that's the best part about it. Couldn't agree more, Craig. We're definitely going to get you back on when this series is over to kind of put a bow on the entire season, and I still got some casual questions that I didn't get to ask you, so I'll, I'll fire those at you as well. Uh, but thank you so much for taking the time to enlighten us, and, I mean, we always appreciate the knowledge and always appreciate you taking the time to join us. Well, and, I, and both you guys, I'm telling you, the offer's still there. We'll, you know, you get down around the Knoxville area. We don't even have. This is how far we'll go. We'll even do it without shoes on. You know, without skates on. I'll take you out to the one of the local uh, you know outdoor rinks that we play on. We'll get you guys some some sticks and we'll do some uh, hockey basics 101. And you know, and, and Terry, with your daughters out there, you know, I think we're playing playing rough and tumble sports already. You know, hey, they they might take to it pretty quick. So, you know, we'll get the whole families out there. We'll you know, three my three kids. I'll play, and so we'll have yeah we'll have uh, some hockey time, and you know that like I said, once you get into it, and once you especially when you see it live, it's you know it, it really is the the one sport that is truly better than seeing live than it is on TV. Well, I'm, I'm coming real quick. My my little miss, they're playing field hockey, and she has figured out okay. that she's playing older. She's playing uh, older. She's playing up, so she's the smallest person out there. And field hockey is not as much contact as ice hockey, but she's figured out that since she's smaller, the referees kind of swallow their whistle on the contact that she's able to dish out. So I think she is ready See, for some ice hockey. She's, because she's a hockey player at heart, I'm telling you. Because I, I knew it was either field hockey or lacrosse. And, and yeah, that's the yeah. one where, you know, you give – you whack somebody in the ankle with that with that field hockey stick, and then you give them that cute little "Oh, I'm sorry" smile, and boy, you can get away with that. You can get away with that for for years. Yeah, and she, she said, "Find out." She's not interested in scoring. She just wants to bump into people. So I said, "You know, that that that, that is okay by me." So uh, hopefully this year. We'll hey, get that, yeah, that time. that's got that's got hockey written all over it. And then you know when she gets a little bit older. With boys and stuff like that, just, you know, hey, you take him out, honey. And just boom, right across, you know, field hockey cross-check <laughs> yeah. the head. That, that takes care of that problem. You just, 
You just cross your arms and just go, my work here is done. Absolutely. That's it. And, Craig, I ain't coming. I am going to make it. I I know you believe when you see it, but one of these days I am going to take you up on it. Well, hey, we had, like I said, we had a couple of the reporters from Channel 6 come out to the ice lane in Knoxville because, you know, coaching kids on Tuesday night and and my fiance Jenny, and I, we got them – we got them suited up and got them out there playing, and uh, you know they they got hockey equipment on in no time, and you know it's over there on Channel Six's website. Our our kids were out there playing, and of course, similar, you know Luke Luke, our ten year old, he's the one that you know the goal the guy that was the goalie said, hey, I want to pretend like I'm getting in a fight with him, and then I was like, you're not sure you want to do that, and of course in the video they showed it, he, he knocked the, the the sportscaster down and pulled his jersey up over his head. And I didn't, you know, I'm not sure how much of that was real and how much of it was fake. And I don't think that the, uh, the sports director, Marshall, over there at Channel 6 was really aware of how, how crazy the boy is. But, you know, he's the one when he's skating around doing stuff, they go, whose kid is that? And then they go, oh, never mind. That makes complete sense. Sorry. <laughs> hey, if you, if you send us a link to that from Channel 6 and that Obeskin go, we'll, we'll retweet that out and check it all out, man. All right, you guys enjoy it, and like I said, you know, if you get a chance to watch it, and the big thing with watching tonight is, you know, yeah, watch the watch the you know the, the two rules that I have for watching hockey on NBC or on any channel, but especially on NBC. First and foremost is you know watch the plays around the puck, not just the puck, and watch what's going on, and you hit mute whenever Pierre Maguire is on there because that'll make you not make your blood pressure go up because it makes mine every time. Just he he is a he's a pipsqueak. You know, I know he knows hockey, but it just you know he makes my eyes start twinging, and then I don't you know, and then I miss half the game because it looks like I'm a hummingbird with my eye blinking so bad. So it's gonna leave that there. Like I said, he's <laughs> and everybody who's not a Penguins fan who's listening is is high fiving you know is high fiving right now because they know that I speak the truth. <laughs> Well, we believe you, man, and thank you so much for stopping by and dropping All right, my, my pleasure, guys, and, and, you know, like I said, things come up, you know, we'll you know, look forward to being on there again, and we'll we'll talk some more about it in the near future, and, uh, you know, take care of the families and uh, enjoy, some, enjoy some hockey tonight, and uh, God bless you guys, and y'all take care. Right, well, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you much. Uh, always. Take yeah. care, boys. That is Craig Bates, UT Hockey Hall of Famer, giving us some of that Stanley Cup knowledge. So we got those finals talked about. Now we move on to the NBA finals, ones that are kind of our cup of tea. And the wait is almost over, TV. Tomorrow night we get game one, round three, Cavs Warriors, the collision course that pretty much everybody saw from the beginning of the season. Yeah, and, and my thing is, you know, we, we've kind of heard the complaint that the, the playoffs have been boring, and, and there have been some blowouts, and there hasn't been that anticipation, but I think here's the payoff. You know, uh, just because you know what's going to happen, I don't think lessens the enjoyment you can get from it. Now, if one of these teams sweeps and their 20-point blowout, that changes things. But it's like riding a roller coaster. You know when you get on a roller coaster after, you know, five minutes or whatever, I'm going to end up right back here. I'll get unbuckled and I'll walk off. Okay, that's how every roller coaster ride is. 
most of the time goes. That's what your expectation is. But it's the it's the dips and the thrills and the and the what have you, you know, how, it's how you get back there. So we kind of knew it was going to be Cavs Warriors. One of the most amazing things is I, I didn't realize this is the first time that two teams are going to play in three straight finals. I would have thought uh, just at, at top at first glance that, you know, Lakers, Celtics in the eighties or in the seventies would have played, but uh, this, this is the match we all want. Uh, there's a great, great article on the undefeated website, talking to a longtime associate of uh, Muhammad Ali, talking about the thriller in Manila, the, the third kind of trilogy in the fights with, uh, uh, that he had with uh, Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali did, and how yeah. the, the third one really took it out of, of both guys. And mm-hmm. it was a great way they juxtaposed it to this matchup. There's really a lot at stake. The, the, to the winner is going to be, you're going to be elevated. Kevin Durant and the Warriors, if the Warriors win, he's going to get that monkey off his back. Steph's going to be able to add to his mantle and kind of, you know, build his uh, resume to being an all-time great, uh, you know, Draymond, uh, Clay Thompson. Uh, you know, the Warriors are going to be able to kind of, you know, this is our resume. But on the other side, you, you've got Cleveland and LeBron James. And allow me, and I know I've kind of rambled a little bit, but you hog the uh, – uh, interviewer, uh, inter- our, our guest tonight, so I'm a hog a little bit of showtime here. But uh, looking at, I tweeted this out and got a little bit of a kind of a mixed reaction. But my thought process is, since Michael Jordan has retired, it, he's, his 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 ghost, his legacy has been just kind of a shadow over the NBA because no matter what we have seen what great plays we've seen, great performances. It's always so-and-so was good, but Michael Jordan was better. And you really don't see that in a lot of sports. You know, we've been able to appreciate uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady without always going to Joe Montana, without always going back to Johnny United. And, you know, I, I don't get that feel from the hockey folks where – Look at Ovechkin. Look at Sidney Crosby. Yeah, but he's no Wayne Gretzky. I, I don't get that feeling except for basketball. And, and I think we don't appreciate the good, the great basketball that we have seen lately. LeBron James was picked to be the chosen one as a sophomore in high school. You know, he was in high school on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And what he has accomplished, again, I don't want to get in the comparison game, but he's been pretty remarkable. We haven't seen anyone do what he has done. And now here he is, seven straight trips to the final, which is just insane. And, and here he is poised for another championship to a championship-starved city. If, if he wins it, you, you've got to put him in your – in your top five, I would say, there's a lot of legacy stuff riding on 
this particular finals that we don't usually see year in, year out. You know, uh, Lakers, Celtics, I, I don't feel like, you know, Bird's legacy, Magic's legacy kind of depended on the outcome. But it really does right here. Uh, it, it really feels like there's a lot riding on this for both sides. Uh, so I think that's where it really kind of anties it up. And going back to that undefeated article, with this trilogy as it, as it comes to an end, I don't think we will see both of these teams back in, in the finals again uh, next year. I, I just I think this is going to be what two years have been building up toward. Everybody's healthy. If, if, if Draymond Green stops going to the man region, you know, the Warriors should be at full strength. Uh, so there's no uh, barring injury. There's no asterisks. There's no what ifs. You've got the two best teams, which is generally what you get in the NBA, ready to do battle for best of seven. I'm excited. I'm chomping at the bit. Little Miss is excited. She, she's a LeBron fan. So I think, you know, the, the month or month and a half of kind of dull playoffs, this is what we wanted. And we're going to get what we want when, when these two great teams go toe-to-toe. So you're saying that neither Golden State nor Cleveland make the finals next year? Neither one of them. I, I, I just I don't think so because I just think – and, and I could be wrong. You know, I've been wrong before. It's happened. I'll have to look it up. But I think we are going to get just a grueling, just, I think, again, looking at the Ali and Frazier, it got me thinking, these, these since the Warriors won two years ago, these teams have been building toward this, this moment. You know, for, for, for here we are for three years. You know, the Warriors won. There was a lot of back and forth. The, the Cavs won, and, uh, you know, they had the party with the three-in-one cupcakes, you know, the Halloween with the decorations, with the tombstones, with uh, clay and, and stuff on it. There's a lot riding on this, and I just – I think the loser I, – I just – teams make the finals next year – that's just me kind of looking ahead. I think this is what these guys have just been waiting for for three years. This has been this has been coming, and I just don't have a feeling that we will see it again. Now, one of them may make it back to the finals. I don't think we'll get a fourth in this in this series. That's just me. But looking at this series, it's it's a pick'em. You can talk yourself into either team with valid reasons. You know, with the way Cleveland was able to play defense coming back from 3-1 last year, uh, I can't remember who was showing it, but they kind of were focused on Harrison Barnes' role last year for the Warriors. Well, you know, that's Kevin Durant now. So you can't anticipate Kevin Durant putting up those low numbers that that, uh, Harrison Barnes did last year. Uh, and like I have said, you and I have said before, despite kind of Steph not being Steph and Clay not being Clay, and with it going to seven, it still took superhuman LeBron, you know, 
to get to Game Seven and get that you know four point win. It, it it's a uh, in, in Game Seven. So uh, you could talk yourself into either way. Uh, I want to see. We have seen LeBron James be superhuman in two straight finals. Can he make it three? I, I don't know. Uh, I didn't think he had anything left in the tank until he blocked Andre Iguodala, you know, last year in game seven. Uh, there was a clip on Facebook of just the last, I think, three and a half minutes of game seven. And both of those teams, it, it was like a prize fight. It really was. So I'm in because, you know, a lot of missed shots. Uh, the Warriors guys didn't have their legs. I mean, so with this being the trilogy, this is what we're building up to. I'm excited. I don't even have a dog in the fight. <laughs> I, uh, I think one of these teams will make it back. I mean, it's, this is Kevin Durant's first time in the finals in a while since he lost to LeBron back in 2011 or 2012, whatever it was, when the Heat beat the Thunder. Uh, I'm, you know, he doubled down on saying that he didn't regret coming to go to the state a few days ago. It took a lot of heat for that, for going to a team that was already loaded, going to the team that knocked him out in the conference finals. He said, you know, basically, if he had to do it all over again, he, he would do it. He doesn't regret anything about joining the Warriors. Um, Steph and Clay are still young. I, I, but, you know, Steph and Clay have a title. KD does it. That is fueling him just like, you know, the legacy stuff is fueling LeBron to slap the Warriors down and, and take them two out of three because the Warriors won the first time. There was all this talk about LeBron's grip on the best player in the world and slipping, and he kind of vindicated himself last year with the block on Steph's shot and glaring at him and all that and the block on Iguodala. Uh, the superhuman stuff that you just referenced. So, I mean, this is a question on LeBron to take them two out of three, kind of like Magic beat Larry two out of three times they faced each other in the finals. Larry still had a great legacy, still won multiple rings, but that mono a mono Magic and Larry, Larry, Magic bested Larry in those finals, you know, because he won the rubber match. It wasn't three in a row. But the three times they faced each other, the Lakers won two of them. Um, so they got that going for them. But, but KD should go to state win this one. You know, KD's got a legacy of his own. He wants, of course, you got to have one ring before you have multiple. He wants one, and he, he doesn't want just one. You know, he wants more than that. You know, he, he's won the scoring titles. He's won the MVP. He's done all that. He's still in his prime, but he wants to move on to bigger and better things to solidify his place in history as more than just a guy who scored a lot of points. So, like you said, there's 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 options and ways that you can lean uh, to to make a case for either team. Uh, so, I, I would I would probably give Golden State the nod of making it back again just because KD might be greedy and he might become even more of a leader next year, you know, and you still got a young Steph and a young Clay and whatever retooling they do 
with the supporting cast. Um, if if I'm gonna say Warriors in six, that's what I'm gonna pick. Uh, it's gonna be a great series. I mean, it, it can easily go seven. It, it's hard to see it being lopsided like all these playoffs and being like you said. Um, go to state, you know, fold, fold, fold all the way through. Uh, if Kawhi Leonard in the picture, uh, uh, they don't sweep the Spurs. It's pretty safe to say that. Cleveland is going fold, fold, five. So, you know, we, we call the great Moses Malone here. But both teams are going to be tested all throughout this series. It's not going to be a cakewalk that it has been leading up to this point for you going up. Right. And, and outside of LeBron and his personal seven-game streak, we just – what usually happens, and I'm just saying usually happens for teams, and I know the Warriors have added Kevin Durant. I, I get that. But but three straight finals appearances, I, I think that's kind of the cap for the most part. Again, LeBron's streak is freakish of nature. But when you kind of look at NBA history, three straight finals just because the season is just grueling. Because let's keep in mind, and uh, I'm kind of getting my way back machine, the Lakers won in 87. They won in 88. They started off the 89 playoffs 11-0 and and, and and ended up, you know, getting bested by the Pistons, uh, you know, in the finals. I, I, three straight is kind of your cap, but that's looking way ahead. But looking to what we might see over the next couple of weeks, uh, is Clay going to have a big game? Is J.R. Smith going to be as incredible as he was last year? You know, for all the knucklehead things he did in Denver and and did in New York, he's become pretty reliable. Now, as we saw in 2015, he can't be your number two guy. You know, he can't be. In, I remember. I, I, so, I, I don't think you can do that. But it, it's going to be pretty good to, to see because for everything Steph can do, it, when he gets switched on Kyrie Irving. That's a yeah. matchup that that we have seen. Kyrie just he knows I can I can do what I need to do. So there's going to be some give and take. Uh, it's going to be the role players are going to have to play well on both teams. You know, Zaza Pachulia is going to have to keep Tristan Thompson off the board. You know, um, I don't want to say Kevin Love has got to be consistent. You know, you remember last year he kind of. His role was kind of changing as the series went on. So th- there's a lot of, of things at stake here. And I love it because it, it really flashes back to those Lakers-Celtics teams when, when you knew the starting five, you know, and the sixth or seventh men for both teams. There's a little bit of familiarity that we don't always have. You know, I, you don't know which role player is going to step up, but you have seen – the various role players for the UC teams really have big games on a big stage. So I'm excited to see that aspect is Richard Jefferson, who's almost as old as we are. What does he have left in the tank? You know, he retired right after last year's finals and he's back. There's a lot to unpack here uh, that I'm going to be interested. You know, what Steve Kerr's, uh, what is his role going to be with the Warriors? 
What's your pick? You got one? You gonna? Who you gonna take? Uh, I, I'm I'm a I'm gonna take uh, Cavs in seven. Uh, All right. I, I feel LeBron's got one more, just monumental effort. Uh, and, and little Mrs. a fan. I told her if the Cavs win, I would definitely get her a T-shirt. So I'm going that way. But you know, but if he's able to do it, pretty good. Re- it, it, you know, the the winner is going to have, you know, obviously to the victor goes the spoils. But the winner of this one gets to pretty much define their era. You know, to, to be honest with you. No. You got Kevin seven just like last year, which could very easily happen again. Uh, I got where six is which would happen the first time around, and that could happen as well. It's gonna be fun to see. Oh, uh, like we we saw Mitch um, Richard Jefferson that he was kind of saying that Golden State doesn't need to talk trash. I think an article in Pro Basketball Talk said that they won last year. This is Jefferson said they won last year because Cleveland was the more poised team of the two. Uh, RJ says all this stuff right after an unnamed Cavalier says that JaVale McGee, uh, center for the Warriors along with Pachulia, probably wouldn't see the floor a lot in this series because he wasn't smart enough to play in this series. My question to you, which Cavalier do you think said that, that didn't put their name on it, but said that JaVale just didn't have a high enough basketball IQ to get out on the floor in these finals? You know, I want to say J.R. Smith, but it could have been, uh, you know, Iman Shumpert or or something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of curses, uh, uh, if you want to look at it that way, Stephen A. Smith has picked the loser in like seven or eight straight finals. <laughs> I, I can't remember who he's going with. And then you've got the the curse of the Kardashians, you know, because Tristan Thompson is <laughs> dating one of them. Uh, I, I, I don't know which, which one of them. I, I don't know which one. Not yeah, yeah, one of the other ones. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. So all the young ones come up now. All the, all the young ones we don't even know them came up, got grown now. So who knows? Right, right. So I'm not. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I'm not keeping up with them. But uh, so, so there's a lot of stuff at work. So uh, these these two these two teams. And look, not to beat a dead horse, these teams don't like each other. Yeah. Like, like you talked about last year with with. I kind of said the Cavs had a shot last year when LeBron just became completely dismissive of Curry, like blocking his yeah. shot after the whistle, dead ball, you know, Steph likes throwing up, and LeBron, you know, caught it, and there's that, that look that just, that completely dismissive just mm-hmm. look that LeBron had. <laughs> These, look, I'll be, look, sports for me, it's, it's better when the teams don't like each other, like your Lakers Celtics, like the Bulls and the Knicks. Like the, there's always going to be the championships. They're always going to be good. Give me, if I don't have a vested interest, give me teams that I know don't like each other. You and I always talk about, you know, in the, in the mid to late 90s, Cowboys and the 49ers. 
uh, this past weekend, the NFL Network had those uh, where each Super Bowl champion got their hour special America's game. Yeah. And, of course, obviously, I I watched a couple of the 49ers, especially when Jerry was talking. But, man, they did not like each other. Like, it was not just they're the opponents, but they didn't like from ownership on down. Like, I don't even like the way their field crew puts the stripes on the field. Give me that. <laughs> give me teams that are just, you know, give me Draymond talking about the locker room still smells like champagne. Give me an un, <laughs> an unnamed, you know, give me an unnamed Cavs saying that JaVale McGee is not smart enough for this series. Give me that. Give me LeBron being completely dismissive of his opponent. You know, that's the one thing I, I always liked about Jordan was he just – it wasn't that he was – his trash talking was just so dismissive of of other all-star players. I would love to see LeBron just being dismissive of Kevin Durant. Just what are you doing? Get, you don't even belong out here with me. I love that. That's, that's sports. That's theater at its best. Give me that and let me tune in and watch. Absolutely. Uh, as far as the unnamed Cav, I'm with you at, at first. My first thought was J.R. Smith, but then I, I dismissed that because he would have put his name on it. He would have just said it in front of a throng of media, and there it would have been. Uh, my second thought was kind of Richard Jefferson. You know, he would kind of be sneaky and say it, and then not put his name on it, and then tell the Warriors not to be talking trash. So I don't know. But yeah, my first thought, you want to you take the knucklehead route, J.R. Smith, Chumper, like that. But uh, I think it might have been R.J. just kind of being calculated and, and just, you know, throwing some gamesmanship out there, you know, as far as that goes. Speaking of uh, America's Game and NFL Network, real quick, just because I think I have a shot and I'm going to take it, they've also been releasing the NFL Top 100, you know, 10 at a time. And it's it's littered with Dallas Cowboys. Dev Bryant, I think, is 59. And, of course, he's right there by Josh Morgan, you know, the, the Redskins corner. A lot of Cowboys linemen are there. If I'm mistaken, I don't think I've seen a member of the 49ers there yet. And I just figured I would throw it out there. But, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't think I've seen any. But, uh, hey, Maybe soon, maybe maybe John Lynch will get y'all some guys, but I just you know I hadn't seen any in in the mix. I'm just saying. So, uh, so what you're my, telling my, me there's a, there's as many 49ers on the top 100 as Cowboys playoff wins in the last quarter century. Is that what you're telling me? Ooh, quarter quarter century. Let's see. You got the nine. Yeah, twenty twenty. Last, no, wait, 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 we we beat we beat the Lions. We beat the Lions. We beat the Lions a couple years ago. Okay, okay, so one. one more. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Ooh, we got one. We got one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, now, real quick, I'm sorry. That's right. I had to give props because I, I tweeted this out yesterday. Retweeted it. That yesterday was the anniversary of the 43 points that Akeem put up against David Robinson in the playoffs in '94, yeah. where he just eviscerated. I mean, just and I have said 
here, and I'm saying to you that everybody assumes that the Bulls would have won eight straight, which I think is a great disservice to your Rockets. Yeah. Listen here, kids. Absolutely. Akeem Olajuwon from 94-95 was the absolute truth. And, you know, I, I don't want to get in this hearsay and what ifs and what about. All I know is your Rockets, when the lights were brightest, and I know that Akeem in 95 had, had, had Clyde, who was a step slower than he, you know, his Portland self, but, but outside of some gritty veterans, you know, Akeem was the absolute, he was a beast. When, when you look at the era, you know, the mid-90s of great big men, and there were a lot of them, he not only played them, embarrassed them. I'm talking David Robinson in the playoffs, Patrick Ewing in the finals, Shaq. And I remember, you know, that 95 series, the Magic, they were the team. They were, they were hip. Uh, the 69 boys with the Tootsie Roll had their jerseys on in the video. And, and Penny Hardaway had a little Penny. And Shaq, who we all thought, he is big, he is strong, he is agile, he is quick, and a keen drug him in the four game sweep. Yeah. I don't think sure it is. Of, of of a back to back championship run, I don't think your Rockets get nearly enough love. And I know Rockets fans, but those teams were special and a keen man, he he's gotta be on your short list of great centers because what he did to peak centers uh, in his career. So a uh, little highlight. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but I definitely, hey, Akeem in, in, in that stretch was unmatched. Yeah, and the uh, the Clutch City documentary where they all got together at a restaurant in Houston, Rudy T, Elijah Wan, Drexler, Mad Max, Kenny Smith, Cassell, all of them, you know, kind of had a reunion. Robert Ory, and of course, and I really believe what you said about maybe the Bulls not winning eight straight because of Robert Ory, because he played for those Rockets and won two. He played for Phil Jackson and, you know, kind of knew his philosophy inside and out. He said there is no way, and I think the Rockets had a winning record during the Bulls, during that prime peak, whenever they would play head-to-head twice a year in the regular season. The Rockets had the head-to-head, you know, better record. Ori said that Phil would not double Elijah one. He would have left, you know, Luke Longley or Bill Winnington or whoever, you know, Cartwright on him one-on-one because that's just his philosophy. He would not have doubled Dream. Um you had all the shooters, but Hakeem would have just been at free to do whatever he wanted to do. Um, and he he liked Houston's chances against those Bulls, you know, just for philosophically as well as just for the matchups. Uh, Houston gave them matchup problems when, you know, they didn't get to meet the finals when they met the regular season. Uh, Houston gave them fit. So there's definitely a lot of truth to that. And, you know, hearing already say that, you know, I'm a homer for the Rockets, but it makes me uh, makes me believe that for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that and uh, just it just blew my just blew my mind. Again, it's that shadow I've talked about earlier about uh, Michael Jordan. I just I don't see him winning eight straight. I just I don't see that because Akeem was at a different level. I mean, just at an absolute different level uh, because '94 was Dave Robinson's MVP season, if I'm not mistaken. And and Akeem just made him look average, and he was a Hall of Famer. So, uh, yeah. It was 95. I think it was 95. They were repeating. It was, they were going to defend their title. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's another thing. Houston won in 94. In 95, and this is the Western Conference, they're like 47 and 35. They're the sixth seed in the West. Don't have home court in any of those series in the rugged Western Conference. They had to go through like Phoenix and Utah and San Antonio to even get to the finals. And you mentioned that they don't get their due when it comes to back-to-back champions. There's a Sports Illustrated article pretty much after it was written. I don't have it anymore, but it was like in '95 talking about the Rockets getting to sit at the big table or be able to be in there and smoke cigars like those other back-to-back champions have been. And it was a quote from Joe Dumars, who of course went back-to-back with the Pistons, and he said what the Rockets did was incredible. To to repeat as a sixth seed and never have home court, he said the Rockets had hurdles in front of their hurdles. You're going to have hurdles enough just to repeat. But then to do it at, with that, you know, struggling in the regular season and then as a sixth seed, he said they had hurdles in front of their hurdles and they were still able to jump them all and win it again. So to hear that from Joe D, who knows a thing or two about repeating, you know, that kind of, you know, they don't get the credit they deserve, but from one of their peers, that's some high praise from and respect from, you know, a truly great player, player himself. Yeah, and, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm no Rockets fan, but I got to give them props that that during that streak, wow, well that that streak that was that was that was something to behold. So, uh, little little tidbit uh, before we get ready for this uh, this year's finals. Uh, I, I don't want to start. I, I, we've covered your team's championships. Uh, I figure I don't want to go an extra hour and cover the 16 championships that the Lakers have won. I don't want to do that. I, I don't, yes, I don't, I don't want to talk about when they went back to back in, in 2009, 2010, or the three peat uh, in uh, 2000, 2001. I don't want to do that. Or, you know, talk about the five titles of the eighties. I don't want to do that. And, you know, talk about, you know, Wilt Chamberlain and, and, and the logo and, and, uh, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, that will say that for yeah, yeah. uh, right. right. I don't even want to, George Mikan, George Mikan, you know, back <laughs> in the Minneapolis days. I don't want to talk about those four titles either. So we'll save that, you know, for another show. But I'm glad we got to cover the Rockets and their championships. <laughs> we got to we got to delve into that a little more next week. Maybe see what your most memorable title was. And yes, y'all do have eight times as many as the Rockets. Yes, fourteen, <laughs> fourteen more. Trophies sitting over there. 
uh, in in L.A. in Staples and all that definitely uh, the case because I was I was thinking about the Lakers Celtics with with Kobe and Pierce you know the two times they met you know less than a decade ago I was thinking about that earlier um, just kind of you know a, a 21st century version of what we grew up with and even what our parents grew up with with them playing in the 60s all the time so I, I was thinking about you know. That's a a good question. I'm going to have to think about that. Lakers finals memory. Oh, wow. That's a. We hit that next week. Yeah, I have to ponder that one. Yeah, definitely. We have to hit that next week. Before I close, I mentioned real life situations. You reference that old Outcast song that I know you know. These athletes get paid. Out the wazoo, their, their their lives are are great for the most part. Uh, Charter jets to the games, you know the the locker rooms are luxurious, Phillies are luxurious, you know their lifestyles are luxurious. But the report today is that LeBron James' house was vandalized, and we saw what was written on the gate and all that. That is messed up. And as good as his life is, that's still a real-life situation. And for it to be on the eve of maybe the most important finals ever is a shame. So we, we everybody's envious of the lives they lead, but still they have real-life stuff to deal with, um, you know, with family members or things of that nature that they can't control. In this case, somebody vandalized his house and, and writing slurs on his property right before the finals. So, you know, a lot of people would trade places with King James to be the best basketball player in the world, but that that's just messed up to see that, you know, stuff like that still happens. Yeah, and it's – yeah. It, it, that just goes to show we, we talk about – Athletes, entertainers, celebrities, rich people, what have you, but they're still kind of they can be victims too, and the right, same right. kind of things that we have to deal with, they've got to deal with. You know, Steve Harvey has said it. You know, but it's because you have money doesn't mean you know you won't have a sick family member, or you you know death won't visit your family, or you might have a situation like LeBron. You know, money. Helps. Don't get me wrong. We all needed to survive, and you know I'm not giving up what little I got. You know, yeah, but still, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't fully insulate you from the real world. So you hate to hear yeah. that. Uh, he's handled it with absolute class. So uh, you know, hopefully he's able to, to you know stay focused and, and and move on. Yeah, and I don't have an LA home, and he during the season is in L.A., you know, play the Lakers one night and then the night or two later you play the Clippers. But he, that's still his house and that still happened. And speaking of Steve Harvey, Little Big Shots has been moved to Wednesday. So I'm going to hop on over here and, and watch a little bit of it because we talked a lot about that last week and talked about how popular that is in the Hardy and Brown household. Yeah, uh, that that's a show we had to put it on the DVR because Mama Brown and the girls love to watch it and just think it's the most amazing thing ever. So, you know, we're big fans of that as well. That's it. Man, another fun show. Appreciate you, TV. Appreciate Keith Madison, Craig Bates for hopping on. 
everybody that listened, my dad called in. He was on the road. He called in and, and listened as well, especially to the Keith Madison portion. Uh, everybody on Facebook Live, appreciate that. We'll be back next week. Portion of the show will be most memorable Lakers titles from TV's sentimental portions of his heart, being the diehard Lakers fan that he is. <laughs> so all of, all of that, as well as recapping what UK does, in baseball, at the regional, at the cliff, all that and more next week. So be sure to tune in. Go have a lot of fun just like we did tonight. Have a good night, TV, and look forward to holiday to you again next week. And, of course, let's with you on Twitter like we always do. I appreciate it. Thanks for our guests. Thanks for our listeners. You take it easy. We'll see you next week. All right. That's Terry TV Brown. This is Vinny Hardy. We'll see you all this time next week. Oh, the Cash Talk Wednesday. Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Old Navy's Saturday Steal is back with the season's biggest one-day deal. 50% off all jeans, plus kids' tees and girls' tanks and leggings for just $3. One day only this Saturday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 85 excludes clearance jeans. $3 deal, select styles only. With free next-day delivery from Staples, you can run your business like a pro. You can guarantee the marketing department that they'll get their supplies tomorrow and guarantee the accounting department that they'll be delivered free. With free next-day delivery, you'll have the ability to move deadlines up and adjust budgets down. Go to staples.com and get the office essentials you need delivered next day for free. Staples. It's pro time. Orders over $49.99. Place by 5 p.m. Excludes weekends and holidays. Eligible items only.